Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme, recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jessica Holmes. Today, we invoke the joy of happiness, stories of the pursuit, our December 2011 show. We start with featured storyteller Glenn Groban, who hunts down then is hunted by happiness as a Peace Corps volunteer in Africa. Okay, I have to uh, be honest with you. Uh, this has been a week of many panic attacks. Uh, <laughs> thinking about coming up here, so if I sort of disintegrate into a puddle, you can just squeegee me off and I'll, <laughs> I'll reform someday later. So, All right, my, my story takes place 34 years ago in the West African country of Niger. I was a Peace Corps volunteer there in forestry, and I was there for three years. The first two years, I was in a, a, um, a town where I ran a nursery, and I planted trees in a windbreak system in a, this beautiful valley. But in the third year that I was there, I actually went to paradise. It was the National Wildlife Park in the, in the, in the country, and it was in the extreme southwestern portion of the country, down along the Niger River, and just across the border from the, from the country of Benin. And this park had all of the animals that you would expect in Africa, lions, elephants, uh, buffalo, everything, except for the, the great primates, uh, rhinoceros, and a few of the others. And I had a motorcycle when I was there, and I had complete access to this park uh, to do my job, which is essentially I was making a vegetation type map of the park. So I had to do ground surveys into the uh, park and also then correlate that with what I saw on, on uh, uh, aerial photographs that I had of the park. So I was going into the park daily and just walking through the bush. It was unbelievable. And my house was actually in the park, essentially. My, my house was right at the entrance uh, of the park, but the park had no boundaries, and the animals knew no boundaries. So at my, at my house, I could sit in my, on my porch or out in my yard, and I saw and heard elephants from my front yard. I had baboons that, that were in the trees next to me. There were crocodiles that, that were in the, in the stream that was in a gorge behind my house. It was amazing. And I had a, um, a bathroom. My bathroom was essentially a, this mud brick hut that was next to my house. And it had a, just a hole in the ground. So when I, I go into my bathroom and there's a spitting cobra in my bathroom. And I tell you, if you ever have the runs, put a spitting cobra in your bathroom. It will dry you up immediately. I don't think I'll poop for like 11 days. After that. <laughs> I, I still think about it when I go into the bathroom sometimes. Especially over my friend's house. That's, that's, so anyway, um, um, my job was to go into the park. I was there for six months by myself, uh, going into the park, doing my job. And the, uh, the second six months I was there, another volunteer came down, and he was a wildlife volunteer. And it was his job to do migration patterns, uh, wildlife surveys, and that sort of thing. He also had a motorcycle. Uh, so one day we decided to go into the park and we're going to check out this, um, this uh, um, site that the Canadians were going to do some phosphate mining. 
and we wanted to see if the site, what it would do to the park, and we were just interested in, in what, what it would do. So we leave early in the morning, and John is leading, uh, John Grettenberger is his name. I have not been able to find him. Uh, he was leading. He was about 50 to 100 feet in front of me, and we're riding slow uh, to look for animals because that's the best time to look and to keep the dust down. So we enter into this little valley, and uh, the valley had, a, had the Mekru River on the, on the left, which is a tributary of the Niger River, uh, had the riparian vegetation along the river. And then next to that was a field of high grass, uh, about thigh-high grass, and then transitioned into a more bare area. Uh, And there was this beautiful baobab tree uh, sort of in the distance, which is the most beautiful tree in the world. If you don't know that, look it up. They're unbelievable. And the road we were on was a two-lane dirt road that that skirted the edge of a more forested, um, heavily brushed area on the right. So John's leading, and I'm following, and he's going up sort of a rise that curves to the left. And all of a sudden, John stops. And so I stop immediately, too, and I see something brown run in front of him. And I can see he's excited, but I'm thinking it was small. And I'm thinking, okay, it's a gazelle or something like that. (laughs) And just as that thought enters my mind, the world just explodes around me in this sound. It was the most unbelievable sound in the world. It, 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 was, it vibrated my body. It, it actually attacked my body and shut down my brain. And it was the sound of lions roaring. And you, you cannot believe the power of the sound. So I'm sitting there just paralyzed on my motorcycle. And John's in front of me. And, and the sound, I'm just sitting there. And I look to my left. And through the grassy area, I see the female, the lioness, and she's coming across the grassy area. And she's just bounding across the grass in these huge leaps, about 20, 20-foot leaps, just bounding across this straight at John. It was the power of this animal is incredible. And she comes right up to John, and she gets about right in front of him, just off to the left and, and slightly in front of John. And she stops, and she rears up on her hind legs, and she starts slashing the air just ripping at John, and I'm just sitting there watching this, and I cannot believe what is happening in front of me. And the power of this animal is just overwhelming. So I'm thinking, okay, you've got to do something. You've got to drive forward toward this animal, maybe move her back and try and escape forward, but I can't move my body. And at that point in time, John... John can't do anything because the animal is sort of off the left and in front of him, so he can't go left because of her, he can't go forward, and he can't go right because of the bush. And there's nothing I can do, and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting there powerless, and I, and I see that John begins to start to work his, work his bike around to the right somehow, and I'm not moving a muscle. And this animal, she's just down, and she's, she's leaping at him and... and and snarling and snapping and slashing at him, but she's not hitting him. If she had hit him, it would, have, it would have instantly knocked him off his bike, and she'd been on him and killed him in seconds. And in re- retrospect, what we think happened is when he stopped uh, and I stopped, we, he was probably in second or third gear in that bike, and he had that thing revved up to like 75 million RPM because, you know, he's just... <laughs> So the bike is screaming, and the sound and the smell of that bike, I think, was alien to her as her sound was to us. 
and I think she was pulling her punches. So as I'm sitting there watching this animal trying to attack John, John's working his bike around, and, I, and he, he, actually, he actually gets it around without her, attack, without her actually hitting him. And he starts accelerating toward me, and I have a momentary thought of, he's going to escape. And then I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's coming toward me, and there's a lion chasing him. And suddenly, I'm the slow guy in the fight. So my pucker factor goes up like 75%. And Jamin's coming toward me, and there's nothing I can do. I can't go left, because if I do, John will crash into me, and we're both dead. I can certainly not going forward, and I can't go right. So the only thing I can do is wait. So I'm sitting there, and John's coming toward me, and I will never forget the look on his face. It's just, it was just this mask of pure terror and horror and fear. And, he, and he's coming toward me, and as he does, I notice that she's starting to slow. And as he passes me, she actually pads to a stop, and she stops about 20 feet in front of me, or about 30 feet. And she's just down like cats do, and she's, she's alert, and she's looking at me with this unbelievable animal intensity, just staring me straight in the eyes. And I'm on my bike, just, I haven't moved a muscle yet, obviously. <laughs> and I'm just looking at this animal, looking at me, and I'm going, okay, Glenn, just do something, right? She let him go. If you just do something and act like you're trying to get the hell out of here, maybe she'll let you survive. And so I'm still just sitting there thinking all this crap. And before I can move, the sound erupts again. If anything, it's more intense than it was before. And it's just, it's just you, you cannot believe the power of the sound of these animals. It's overwhelming. And I'm just sitting there vibrating and just paralyzed. But I'm confused because I'm looking at this lioness right in front of me. And she's just down and she's looking at me, but she's... She doesn't appear to be making this sound. And so I'm confused going, what the hell? And so, so then I look to my left, and coming across the barrier is the male. And he is just accelerating toward me. And it was, it was just, he was down low like cats do, and he's running and he's running. And he's coming straight at me with his mane out, and he's looking at me like I'm some giant ham sandwich or something. <laughs> And he's, I remember his hips pissing behind him, and he's just coming straight at me, and I'm a dead man. There is nothing I can do. I have seconds to live. And I'm just sitting there on this bike. Again, I have not moved. And, there's, <laughs> and honestly, at that moment, my, I, I have no idea what happened. There's this, my memory is of here's this lioness. She's in front of me, just staring at me with this intensity. The sound erupts and paralyzes me. I look and I see this lion coming at me. And my next memory is my bike is turned around and I'm starting to accelerate. And I have no idea how I did that. It had to have happened in seconds. Honestly, I, I had to stop time. I, had, I, I wish there had been somebody there that could have seen what I did to turn that bike around in the seconds it took that animal to reach me. So as I did, I start to accelerate. And we had these big mirrors on my bike. I'll never forget. As I start to accelerate, I look in my right mirror, and, and as I start to go, I see the male. He just swoops in behind me, right onto the road, just up on my back, and I just kick it, and I kick ass, and I just, I just start flying down this road, man. 
I mean, I would have won any race on the history of the world at that point in time. So I'm just going down. I'm just, I'm going across the bush and down the road. And I go up and I see John and he's, he's up on a rise in front of me. And he's off his bike and he's just pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. Because he's just escaped this incredible experience. But he's thinking I'm being killed by these animals, you know. So he didn't know what the hell to do. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I couldn't imagine being him. So I come sliding to a stop right up next to him. And I jump off my bike. And we're just jumping around and we're screaming and yelling and high-fiving with, and that we've survived this unbelievable experience. And at this, in my memory, at the same time, we just sort of both, we just turn around and we look back over where we came from. And I just, I will never forget this. The valley that's stretching out before me, the, uh, the, the river over to my left and this beautiful baobab tree in that early morning light and then just just rolling across this valley and washing over me is the sound of every lion in that pride just roaring at the top of their lungs. And it was the most, it was unbelievable. And it was a completely different sound than when they attacked. The sound when they attacked us was the sound of death and destruction and violence. I mean, to paralyze this sound. This sound was a sound of, of victory of triumph, and it was truly one of the most beautiful sounds I've ever heard in my life. And I am so thankful that I was able to experience the power of those animals in that environment, and they let us live. That's my story. Thanks, Glenn. Now, it's your shot at happiness. Join us at the next Story Story Studio, coming Monday, January 16th, to Colmar Coffeehouse at 7 p.m. This free session, On the Page, helps you delve into the writing that sparks the best telling. We'll see you there. Next up, story slammer Etienne de Villers finds a happy place during boyhood play in South Africa. Unlike the little gray alien, I think that I definitely need some more height on this. Hello, folks. People usually just call me E.T. because it's easier than the rest of the long-winded name. So, without much more, I've got a little tale of... uh, Maybe not. Um, (laughs) Two little boys in their adventures, and funnily enough, also in Africa. But uh, we weren't so little. My brother and I were both, my little brother, he's six foot ten, but uh, we both enjoyed moving over to South Africa when we were younger. So the whole whole plan was that um, we go over there and we have some adventures, because my uh, my grandpa, my grandpa passed on, and we inherited this small holding over there. And we figured, okay, we're going to get the chance to make tree houses. <laughs> okay, so we had all these grand plans of all these different things we were going to do with the tree houses, and uh, they actually came to fruition, scarily enough. Um, my brother, he he decided that he's going to start out with a small little platform, and it grew. 
and the small little platform turned into a little cottage. And then he started putting extra things into it. We decided, okay, now we're going to have to wire up electricity to it so that he can have all sorts of extra little bits in there, including his coffee maker and his TV and all those different things. You can imagine a treehouse in Africa with a TV and a coffee maker. <laughs> anyway, not to be outdone, of course, I had to make mine bigger and higher, and we grew the tree houses. And um, we decided, okay, now we need to be able to escape into the forest. So we need to have zip lines and things like that. Because we, of course, you know, little boys, we've got to get to the other fort. And uh, so we make zip line. We do all the little adjustments and calculations as best we can for 10 and 14 years old. It's like, yep, okay. Let's give this a try. So, who's gonna go first? Um, I'll go first. You're my big brother, you're always going first. I'm gonna do it. So he goes and jumps up the tree and grabs hold of the line, jumps off. Uh, well, it was a bit steep and we're both all standing there. Let go, let go! Because he's going faster and faster and faster and it's mounted on the end of another tree. <laughs> About the, time, about the time we actually managed to persuade him to let, he's like, it's too high, it's too high, I can't let go. It's like, there's a tree. <laughs> he finally lets go, he hits the ground, he goes sliding and tumbling, rolling until finally his midsection, he hits the tree with his midsection, and he does two flips around like this, and I'm thinking, holy cow, he's not in one piece anymore. He gets up. I'm fine, you can go. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, not to be outdone by my little brother, as I said, 6'10". I go up there and I jump on and I give it a go. And lo and behold, it's scary. <laughs> it's going faster and faster and faster, but at least I let go halfway through. But the thing was, I didn't stop either. I just made this slide mark all the way over to the tree until such time as there was enough pine needles in front of me that I pushed it up. And it actually looked quite cool because I came sliding in, hit the pine needles, and came straight back up again. <laughs> My dad says, can you do that again? <laughs> anyway, point is, two little boys and a few trees, and a few nails, and all sorts of interesting other little bits, serves as a real adventure in happiness. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by fearless leaders, yours truly, Jessica Holmes, Anna Dimitriadis, and James Dead, as well as studio instructors, Elizabeth McKetta and Kate Riley. Theme song, music, and podcast production are by the jolly good fellow, Dan Costello. Hear more at hearcostello.com. Our partners include Boise State Public Radio, the Boise State Story Initiative, Neighborhood All-Stars, The Rose Room, Bricolage, and Red Feather. A big thanks goes out to our story think tank and volunteers. Join us on the podcast next week for another crack at happiness. Learn more at storystorynight.com dot com